With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, boy, oh boy, after a few weeks of pretty much no news on the Sabres front, a couple of bombs were dropped this week. Most notably, Tage Thompson signing a new seven-year contract with the Buffalo Sabres, along with confirmation that the beloved Black Goathead jerseys will be returning as the team's third jersey for this upcoming season and into the foreseeable future. First, let's get into the new deal for Tage, which saw him sign a seven-year, $50 million deal with an average annual cap hit of $7.1 million per year. This comes in light of Tage's breakout season in 2021-2022, which saw him score 38 goals and 30 assists for 68 points in 78 games. Tage was consistently solid throughout last year, but really took things into overdrive after the acquisition of Alex Tuck. According to Lance Likowski's story in the Buffalo news about Tage's new contract he had noted that over the final 38 games of the season Tage had scored 24 goals and 39 points in those final 38 games according to our pal Jay Fresh Tage finished last year fourth in the NHL in goals above expected only behind the likes of Austin Matthews Leon Dreisaitl and Chris Kreider and let's also remember that that means ahead of guys filling out the rest of the top 10 here guys like Steven Stamkos Philip Forsberg, Kirill Kaprizov, Kale McCarr, Ryan Johansson, and Jason Robertson. Very, very impressive stuff there. On top of that, he became one of the elite finishers in the NHL last year after really learning to harness and properly utilize his shot. And of course, at the heart of his emergence is the move to center last year. It opened up the ice for him and combined with his improved skating and confidence with the puck on his stick, it just completely rebirthed his career. Getting into the numbers a little bit. So Shana Goldman of The Athletic, she had reported that Tage's market value, according to her model, $6 million per year. So the $7 million 
million maybe on the surface may seem a little bit high, but when you compare that to players like Robert Thomas and Josh Norris, who notably both signed long-term deals with their respected clubs at higher average annual values after breakout seasons, similar to Tage, it makes sense that the Sabres would do this deal now as compared to punting it and waiting until next season as Tage is one year closer to UFA, and especially if he continues to produce at the pace that we all expect him to. So, Taylor... Your reactions to the signing, are you happy that the Sabres locked it up now? Are you happy with the numbers that were involved? And do you believe that the Tage Thompson that we saw last year is the one that we are going to see next year and subsequently well into the future? I hope so. Yeah, he had a a really awesome year last year. And it's an interesting thing. In general, I think a lot of us would be opposed to paying a guy who had an outlier year compared to the rest of their career. The, the thing we, we might always think of in that case is Billy Lano after having one good season. But I think Tage is a little bit different for a few reasons. First of all, he had a good draft pedigree. That matters, definitely. Some guys take a little lo- little longer to get used to whatever level they're at. That's one thing. He'd been shuffled around a lot. Buffalo was a bad situation for him coming in at first. He definitely shouldn't have been in the NHL in that first year here after the O'Reilly trade. Not even to mention, by the way, how unfair it is for him to be the immediately apparent the the only chance for the O'Reilly trade to not be a disaster as his former team was winning the Stanley Cup but yeah so he shouldn't have been in Buffalo at first and then when he was here he was playing with like you know bums and then he was playing in Rochester as well and in that time I should mention he also went to college for two years he wasn't in college he wasn't uh and in the HL and starting the NHL he wasn't playing the position he probably should have been which is center and when they decided to, to change him to center before last season, I was more than skeptical because anyone who plays hockey or pays attention to hockey knows center is a harder position than wing with more demand. It You have responsibilities in the defensive zone. You just have a lot more going on. And it's definitely you're seen more as a leader of whatever line you're on. And because of last year's Sabres, let's say lack of experience and talent, that was going to be like the first line. That's a lot of responsibility for him being a first-line center, and he killed it. And it was clear, I think, immediately that even though it is more responsibility for him, that playing center allowed him to unleash the skills that he has uh, much better. He was a huge driver in playmaking, in, in creating scoring opportunities. Now, he didn't have a ton of assists, so, I mean, he's not the, the world's best passer. He can improve in that area. But playmaking – or not playmaking, sorry, creating chances – he was excellent. He was a super dangerous player all the time. This was not his shooting percentage obviously went up, but it's that's part of that I'm sure is a little bit unsustainable, but part of it is because the entire way he played the game changed. He was just significantly, he he created significantly more dangerous chances, which is the name of the game. It's in 2022. You don't score at the top of the red line. You don't score in only on breakaways. You score on odd man rushes. That's a great way to score. You score when you use your big frame to, to create space in the center of the ice. You have guys like Skinner or Tuck later in the year coming down with you. And you he can he obviously has a great shot. He had a great shot his first year here. He just he never put himself in a position to to use it properly. And that probably has a little bit to do with the centers he was playing with. It has a little bit to do with him too. He had some improvement to make. So there's a lot that went into this one year improvement. It's not just a shooting percentage driven increase. He's well, not what a ridiculous like Troy thing. Terry either. Well, and I was going to, on the shooting percentage point, not to interrupt you, but what a ridiculous thing that people are pointing to that as though 15% is some astronomical shooting percentage. 
in reality, the league average is what? 12% cages of volume for shooter. forwards for forwards. I should say yeah. cages of volume shooter. We know that, but it's not as though, you know, we had talked about a few episodes ago about how the guys on the Preds were shooting at like 18 to 22%, like something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Whereas with cage 15. Yeah. Maybe that's not necessarily sustainable year over year, but assuming he continues playing at the, the pace that he was. And again, pretty much just putting it all together in the way that you would just describe there. I don't think it's unrealistic at all to think that he would settle in, in the, in the 12, 13, 14 range potentially. And again, like that full on still gives him the ability to be a 35 goal guy. Theoretically. Yeah. Especially depending on who he's playing with. If he settled in as a 30 goal guy, He's not all that great in his own zone, but if he was like a no. 30 to 35 goal guy and then 25 to 35 assist guy, that's a good contract. I think I should say that I understand the skepticism coming from some people, mm-hmm. especially people outside of the Sabres realm. They're trying to just be honest and say like, wow, seven years at a decent amount of money. That's a lot to commit to a guy who this was all. How sure are you that it was one year? Because I think most of these people are willing to admit he's definitely at least better than he was in the years prior. You can't just score 38 goals in the NHL being like a guy who got lucky. Uh, that's not really how it works. You can't mm-hmm. you can't have your true talent be like a six-goal scorer in that case. So they're willing to admit that. I just think there was such a lack of context. I think it's so – his the position change is so important. Like that's something you have to mention right away. It changes the entire way you play hockey. Mm-hmm. And if all of a sudden that seems to unlock something on a guy that had a pretty good pedigree, on a guy that he was a decently thought-of rookie in St. Louis. Like when they parted with him – that was the second guy they were least willing to part with. Not, I've just butchered the English language. They're pretty bad, but the easier way to say that is the number one guy they didn't want to part with in an O'Reilly trade was Robert Thomas, which they were right to do because he's really good. Second, though, was Tage. And this, and I, this is kind of why he was having a decent rookie year. And there's a lot of everyone knows coming to a situation like Buffalo and playing with like, I'm pretty. Wasn't he centered, be centered by uh, Vlad Zabaka his first he year? He did here? play with him, yes. And then didn't he play with Eakin last year? He mostly didn't play the year prior. He was in the AHL and then he got hurt. Like, you mean two years ago with Eakin? Are you saying? Like, yeah, like the the 2021 season, the yeah. shortened lockout, not lockout, the shortened bubble season, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call that. Uh, so he played with not good players. So, and he already was starting to look better under Granado late in that season. And then this year, I mean, look at how he handled his responsibility. Like, yeah, he has more minutes. You have more minutes. You have more chances to score. He's good in the power play. But look at how he handled all that opportunity. It's not like he was doing this on some, like, fantastic team. But this is another thing, because there were some people during the season, like, is Tage really good, or does someone just have to score a lot? And it's like, no, we've seen this. You don't – no one just has to score 38 no. goals on bad teams. If you look at the Tank Sabres, their leading scorer on the Tank team and the year prior – was Anis, who I believe had 20 goals both seasons. So you want to say scoring's gone up, you can extrapolate that to he would have had 23 now. It's a big deal. It's a big difference between 38. And let's not forget, uh, I, I think we all at least a little bit blame Ralph Cougar for making Jeff Skinner look bad. I think it's also reasonable to say he didn't have a great effect on Tage. But hey, look at the effect Tage had on Skinner. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it is at all. idolized them. Yeah, it, it can't all be uh, Ralph Cougar, you know. I mean, a little bit had to... He had to be able to bounce back. I think Skinner did not look like a 40-goal guy those two seasons. I know he was put in terrible spots, but this was him being taken out of a terrible spot and being put with someone who worked incredibly well with him. So that's huge, too, because 
have to have Skinner in the books going forward. But another thing I want to say about the contract, though, seven years, he won't be old by the end of it. He'll be 31, mm-hmm. 31, 32 ish. So that's good. You're not paying for any old years or really, really over the hill years in all likelihood. The other thing oh, is man. to say, we are going to see the cap go up eventually. The cap is not, it's it not been good the past few years because of COVID, but the cap will start moving again. People forget how much the cap has moved in the NHL and every sport. It's going to start moving in the NHL again. The TV deals are good, which is huge for them. But this is a great example. When the cap was instituted in 2005, do you know what it was? At the time? No, I, what was it? It's 32 million. Jesus. More than doubled. It probably would have been close to tripling by now if it wasn't for COVID. We're now up in the 80s. So this this is a – it's going to start moving again. And at that point, your just over $7 million contracts aren't going to look that crazy. I mean, Whoa. in 2007, they paid Vanek $7 million. Vanek, high, bigger, a better pedigree, but not that much more experience. It worked right. out. And I think also, too, again, that's a great point with regard to the cap growing. But also just the fact of the matter is, is like guys who can regularly score 35 goals get paid $7 million. Yeah. Okay. And then we're talking about a guy who is a center who is really starting to just kind of come into his frame, who has the ability to be a physical force due to the fact of him being six, seven. The other thing too, going back to my, my point about shooting percentage, Taylor, Joshua Norris signed with the Senators, an eight-year, $63.6 million deal for an average cap hit per year of 7.950. Do you know what his shooting percentage was last year, Taylor? Higher than 15? I got one better for you. 20.3. Oh, boy. 20.3. I mean... You know, like these are things that you absolutely have to take into account. And, uh, you know, uh, let's put it this way. So Tage had played, as we were talking about also just like the volume shooting, Tage played 12 more games than Norris did last year. He shot, Tage shot 15%, but dude, he took about almost a hundred more shots than Norris did too. A hundred more shots in 12 games. I should say it's more, it's closer to, to, so it's a little, it's like 80 pretty much. So 80 more shots in 12 games. Yeah. So I also, one last thing I want to say about Tage. So you you make a good point there. Shooting a lot is good in the NHL. It's the opposite of basketball. Theoretically shooting a lot and having an okay shooting percentage. A okay in hockey. So the other thing I want to mention is that what would they have done? So if I'm not mistaken here, so he was an RFA next July 1st mm-hmm. and a UFA on July 1st, 2024. Yes. That's dangerous. The Sabres just saw how dangerous that was. Mm-hmm. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, especially what if he just goes out and does that again? Right. That's what you have Price to Price is going to go up. Price goes up. So no one has more information on players in the organization than the people that run the organization. No one does. Now, that's not a way of saying they're always right and people on the outside are always wrong. Sometimes they're wrong with that extra information. Who knows why? But I think there's a lot of confidence and faith there between Granado, Adams, the scouts, maybe the analytics department too, everyone, that this is actually the right deal. Additionally, they have the information of what Tage is willing to do or what his agent 
more specifically is willing to do. What if his agent is going in there being like, yeah, you could give us this deal or you could give us a one-year bridge and we could walk to free agency. Your choice, guys. Right. And I then, think also oh, – that, that's, that's something that we can't know, especially if it doesn't leak. If he's willing to do that, you could just say, all right, seven years. It's not that crazy of a deal. It's not – it's not a guy you're waiting to be worth $7 million. He was worth $7 million last year. It's not like the wrist alignment deal. And he's not 28 either. Let's keep that in mind. The guy's 24 still. Mm-hmm. Like Oposo, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not yeah. giving this out to like an older guy or a UFA. It's betting on your own talent. And I think that also just speaks to the organizational philosophy that you and I have talked about wanting to have them to have an enact. And it was especially the case with Reinhardt, like you're saying, but even with Darlene a few years ago too, that the way that teams end up having these kind of bargain contracts is because that you are going to bet on your guy growing into the player that you think that they will be, or that they have shown you to be in Tage's case. Yes. We only have one year to look back at, but there's so many variables and factors that go into a pretty solid belief that he's going to be able to continue this. You know, if he can, again, like if, if this is a guy that can settle into being a 35, 35, 70 center that maybe eventually down the line becomes your, your number two. And maybe he goes like 30, 30, 60 at that point, you take that every day of the week. And so if you feel as though in any way, shape or form that this is the guy that Tage is and will continue to be then you have to make that deal now because as you had just alluded to before waiting a year even if he did want to still sign long term next year if he runs it back and goes 35 35 70 after this season and has almost an identical looking stat line maybe he improves his defense a little bit some of his passing gets better obviously with a little bit of an uptick in assists we're talking well north of eight million a year so oh yeah I, I just I'm fine. Player, players aren't stupid. They know the cap's going up. Right, right. And that's the th- and that's why I'm fine with it. You know, like at some point, you know, and I feel like this in a way, this move not only does it signal them taking that approach and really enacting that philosophy of 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 betting on guys to grow into these roles and in Tage's case to, to stay in this role and to really continue to flourish in it. Not only is it, is it showing that, but I think on top of that, this is a huge moment because this is the first major contract that Adams has also signed one of like our home going homegrown guys for, you know, obviously Tage came over in the ROR deal, but this is his first real big contract move. Obviously, the Eichel, Ristolein, and Reinhardt trades were were huge in their own right. But at the end of the day, that was all about just acquiring assets with all of those moves. And he did a good job with that. Let's not, you know, obviously get that mistake. And I don't want me saying this to sound like I'm trying to undersell or underscore those obviously three major trades. But can you think I, I looking back, like, I really don't think that there's this, this is his first big contract signing and he's putting all of his, his eggs in this basket. And again, the value is really all that it comes down to. You can't just look at it and being like $7 million a year. No, it's, it's not about that. It's about what $7 million a year players across the league are typically producing. And as you had mentioned, what Tage had done last year was absolutely worthy of that. And so as we're moving forward, and I guess to put a bow on this, as the cap is 
Again, going to continue to go up over these next few years. Hopefully the new TVs deal help with deals help with that as well. Uh, and, and just continuing the growth of the game. And as the cap grows, I mean, hell, we could be looking at this deal three years from now when Tage is 27, 28. And if he is still, like I said, a 30, 30, 60 guy, that's a bargain. 100, yeah. 110%. For sure. One last point I wanted to make is that this is something I actually, a point I made last year, I believe. And it's about the analytics community's response to this. So I think a lot of people were pretty reasonable about it, at least. So like Jay Fresh had a reasonable take. Uh, a couple other guys I follow, Evolving Wild, a former guest from Evolving Wild, yeah. said we were going to win the Stanley Cup, so that was great. Um, but there's a couple you know people that from those guys. Yeah, there's a couple people that were more aggressive about this is a really stupid deal. Why would you do this? And then there was an overall lack of mentioning, like I mentioned before, his position change. And the reason I bring this up is thinking about Risto in 2016. During that season, a lot of people started to be like, Risto sucks. Risto never be good. Like these these analytics people, like Risto is not a number one center. Risto is actually dragging down Josh Georges. Risto is indeed not a number one center. You are. Oh, sorry. Defenseman. Defenseman, (laughs) yes. I mean, he might have been better as a wing than a defenseman. Who knows? But anyway, uh, he's dragging down Josh Georges, all this stuff. And I, I was apoplectic about it for like nine months. And then I think I started to waver a little bit, even though he was having what ended up being his best season. And then eventually full on thought he sucked and wanted him gone for multiple years. So in one way they can take a huge victory lap because the advanced stats predicted before anyone else, anyone in traditional world, any Sabres fans, media, whatever, that Risto is not going to be good. No, I don't think whatever advanced stats say about someone at that age is permanent, but without skipping the whole spiel I gave on Twitter last year, what killed me about it in hindsight is that the reason I was so unconvinced is because no one, ever said what Risto was doing wrong on the ice that made him bad, which should be really easy to point out now that we know what he was doing bad. And if you're going into, uh, you're going into uh, an argument or a film session or whatever, looking for a specific conclusion like that, it should be really easy to find. And that's what really annoyed me because at that point, also a lot of these advanced stats were newer, not as peer reviewed, maybe not as thorough as the ones we have now. And it's just expecting people to, to say that. And it's like, well, because the numbers say he's bad. And the reason that's especially bad in the Risto case is it should have been easy to prove. Like now we know, now I know I was arguing against me from back then. I could just go back in a time machine and convince myself significantly easier saying like, yeah, he's a big guy, but he uses his physicality in stupid ways. Yeah. He's a strong skater and he can pass well, but he passes. He doesn't pass well. He just blindly fires the puck too much. He isn't smart with the breakout. Like, yeah, he's in his defensive zone a lot, but he, he gives it up too easily. All these things that we know make Risto bad. Bad brain. Never seem to want to learn anything. Bad brain. Bad yeah. Brain. Um, so. Good at lifting tires. Yeah. We'll and that should, that. Oh, for sure. That should be obvious for anyone who's not looking for the good things like we were at the time. Yeah. And that's what I'm kind of getting out of this stage thing, too. It's like all the numbers say this. Like, you have to have the caveat that he changed positions. Right. And that he was worth that money last year. You have to have that or else you just sound like a jackass. Like, I'm not going to single out the guy by name because I mostly like him. But there was a guy that our friend Kevin was our. I was going to bring this up, too. And just point after point in the argument is bringing up his shooting percentage in NCAA, shooting percentage in the AHL early on in the NHL. Different things like that. 
that can all be easily argued against. His position is different. The way he plays in the ice is different. He shoots from different places now. Maybe he won't shoot for 15, 15% forever. In fact, he won't. I'll say it right now. He will not shoot 15% forever. But I just, I don't, I don't really get that. And I think it's also possible that a lot of people maybe didn't even know he changed his position. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. Outside of Buffalo, that is. It was even beyond that, too. I think the other thing, I, it's so funny when we talk about analytics a lot, of, that it, it, we're still having this conversation about analytics, that there needs to be an intersection between what the numbers tell you and also what the eye test tells you too. I mean, analytics tell help tell the greater picture of what we're seeing on the ice, but there is still, yeah, that it's component. only been going on in the NBA for 12 years. Well, right. To catch up. And, and there still is that component. And what killed me about the interaction that you're talking about is that I went through and on a, on the same thread not with Kevin, but it was responding to another person who had reached out to him. Somebody was flat out. Like, did you watch the games this year? And he was like, not much, if at all. Really? Like, yeah. The dude who's wow. saying this stuff, of, of course, the guy who thought that Tage was a center in Rochester. And then when he was, who's St. Louis with Chicago, the wolf or whatever, the wolf, whatever. And in college too, like just claiming that it's like, dude, you haven't even watched the guy. That's an especially bad one. Cause I think a lot of cases, these guys have watched a lot of Tage, but are still hesitant to bring up. I don't know. You know what I mean? No, I do. I think, I'm just like, saying, these guys watch a ton of hockey and like, I think sometimes Hockey is still missing from the analysis. Like, it's not even that I think you're wrong. Like, watch the game. You'll find something different. It's like the game is supporting the argument you're making. So why don't you support your own argument with what everyone else can already see? Like, see thing X? That explains this other thing. Why? Right. And I'm saying it. I don't understand why that doesn't appear more. It appears in all basketball analysis. Mm-hmm. Not all, I should say. But you see that in mainstream basketball analysis using advanced stats and then talking about what how a player is on the court or how that translates Yeah, where misconceptions come from, things like that. But before we get to any other topics, let's hear a word from our sponsors, plural. Ooh. The wait is almost over. A new football season is about to begin. Get ready for NFL week one action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL to celebrate the return of football. DraftKings is giving new customers a can't miss offer. Bet just $5 in any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action for opening night? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven. You win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. So, Brendan, you know, lately I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Mm. By lately, I mean the last half dozen years. Okay. Talking our podcast, other hockey podcast, network podcast, Puck Soup, also non-hockey podcasts such as Blocks Party, Chapo Trap House, The Shutdown Fullcast, The Big Picture, The Rewatchables, all different kinds of stuff I listen to. And you know what I listen to them on? Tell me. Raycon, Raycon Wireless Earbuds, which oh, baby. make for a great listening experience. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge. Trust me. 
Raycon gives you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You'll get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Folks, that's almost as many as this podcast. So basically, some of the cool things about this are noise isolation. You've had noise at canceling headphones for a while now, but you haven't had any like these. It'll be like you're in a different world. Uh, there's tap functions on the earbuds, so you can basically manipulate them from straight from the earbud, which is, wow, it's like we're living in 3022, folks. And they have customizable sound profiles, so you can customize it for what type of music, podcast, news, whatever you're listening to. You can customize it for that. So that's basically everything you need to know about Raycons. Uh, you know, I use them because I like to be in my own world when I'm listening to my podcast. Like I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm in the same room as Greg Wyshynski and Sean McIndoe and Ryan Lambert. I'm talking to them about hockey. Well, I'm mostly listening, actually. I'm not walking around Buffalo just laughing and arguing to no one in particular. I'm listening to Raycons. So buy, go to Raycon, sorry, go to buyraycon.com slash THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. All right, we're back. We're back. All right. Any other thoughts to, to wrap up on the on the Tage conversation before we move on, Taylor? No, let's uh, let's move on to some uh, goalie talk. Yes, Taylor. The Buffalo Sabres have signed goaltender Uko Pekalukinen, their last remaining RFA to a two year contract. Interesting wrinkle in the contract is that the first year of the deal is two way with the second year then turning into a one way contract. It's really getting to be about that time where we got to figure out what UPL is and how he fits into the overall game plan for the Sabres moving forward. Obviously, we have goaltenders in the system, Devin Levi and Eric Portillo, along with the recently drafted Topias Linonen. So the Sabres do have a bit of depth in the ranks right now. However, we are assuming Devin Levi will be signing with the team at the conclusion of his season with Northeastern this year. So time is running out before Levi is going to get here, and he is going to be coming after Luke in his place right now as the top young goalie that is currently within the organization and signed to the organization He's had his struggles after, of course, he had suffered a, a pretty major hip injury, which required surgery there. This was coming after he had an incredible season with Sudbury in the OHL, but really has not been able to find his footing much in the AHL. And even with the Sabres, for that matter, we've seen him had better numbers in the NHL than in the AHL. And he just really has not been able to stick at the NHL level here. So pretty a, 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 a very low risk potentially high reward deal for the Sabres where you get a little bit of time on UPL to kind of see what you have there. Do you have any thoughts on this, Taylor? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. First of all, the fact that they want him to sink or swim and the fact that they're not going to go into next season being like, you're the guy. I don't think he's shown enough at the AHL level to show that he's the guy. So he gets to be the guy in Rochester and in Buffalo, they're going to roll with Comrie and Anderson. And I'm not thrilled about Anderson um, being back, but he's at least in a backup position now and people seem to like him around the locker room. So that's fine enough. I think he could probably hold his own as a backup. And then Comrie, we'll see. That's just a lottery, not, not even lottery ticket. It's just kind of 
guy you want to give a chance. I mean, at best, he might be a stopgap, but if he's a decent stopgap, that's better than what they've had for the past five years, so that's good. As far as UPL goes, I think he has a lot to show in Rochester next year. I think he has to be straight up good. Rochester was not great at stopping the puck uh, or stopping chances the past couple of years, really. But they did sign quite a few new defensemen. So they're going to basically turn over their entire defensive core from last year, which is good, or most of it, I should say. And hopefully that leads to some improvement. And they're going to have some, you know, interesting young guys there. So hopefully they're a decent enough team that he gets a chance. And then also hopefully he does well there. And that gives him an opportunity. It gives them an opportunity in general to see how things go. Like, let's say Comrie is pretty good. Well, regardless of how Anderson is, you're probably not going to bring him back. He'll probably retire. So you have Comrie there as the, uh, maybe the starter in 23-24. And then you can try UPL as backup. If he's bad, maybe you try a buyout or trade. We'll see. He's bad this year, but yeah, that's pretty much all I think of it. I know there's a lot of guys coming for him, so he does really have to kind of show that he's worth it this year. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to see it work out. I mean, UPL again, there was a lot of promise there, especially like I said, after he had that incredible run with Sudbury where he was dragging that team along. So we'll see what ends up happening. I mean, the hip issues again, like that's something that's definitely hard to overcome for any player, let alone a goalie when that's, you know, a key part of your movement there. And so it remains to be seen. I mean, hopefully, as you had mentioned with the revamped defense in Rochester, that he'll be able to put together consistency there, which is something that we just unfortunately haven't seen much of out of him. But enough of this goalie talk, Taylor. The big news of Wednesday, something that we had known for months, but it was officially confirmed by the Buffalo Sabres today. Black and red is back. The Buffalo Sabres are bringing back the Goatheads as their official alternate jersey next season and seemingly moving forward into the foreseeable future here. An official reveal of them, the Sabres had said was going to come in November when they have 90s night, which will be the uh, the first game of the year that they're going to be wearing those. I would have to think that they'll debut the jerseys earlier than that rather than waiting until the night of the game or like the day of the game. Yeah, um, I, I, I think on 90s night they should pay homage to the 90 Sabres by getting out shot 37 to 11 and winning two to one. I love that idea. Let's do it folks. Let's do it. Eric Comrie, big performance that night. Go make that bet on DraftKings, everyone, (laughs) (laughs) but really exciting news. Something that fans, many of which, you know, a a lot of fans, I should say who are uh, at or around our age, you know, those who really grew up with the, with the black and red are very, very excited about and have been waiting for and calling for, for a long time. Also, on top of that, just feels like it's a slam dunk just from like a marketing perspective. Everybody's going to get on board with that and they're going to sell a boatload of merch and a boatload of jerseys. And it also opens up the opportunity for them too. to then maybe you bring in some of the jerseys of guys who had been on the team previously when they had worn the black and red in its initial run, you know, up until, of course, the 2005-2006 season. So really exciting stuff here. I'm pretty pumped about it. Are you pumped? How are you feeling? What what are your thoughts on this announcement? As a former presidential nominee once said i feel great so it's a cool thing i like them as the third jersey i i think it's honestly with the royal blue and this is a third jersey that feels like the best of both worlds it probably bears mentioning Mm -hmm. that you know things have not been so great for over the past almost 15 years you don't say it's nice to at least look good 
at least look like some of the teams from the past that were good, like the 90s Sabres or Royal Blues case, the 70s and early 80s Sabres, the very successful era. So that's nice. It's just really cool. It's uh, the fans have been asking for it for a long time. So I guess the lesson is if you're bad for long enough, you eventually have to listen to your fans and give them something. So uh, now that we have this done, and I think this will be a few years at least, I'm guessing, of them wearing red and black third jerseys. I'm hoping it's at least a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And now that we have that, I think it's it's time to get on to the next quest in terms of fan complaints. And let's reupholster those seats, guys. <laughs> it needs to happen, man. We we need these upgrades in KeyBank. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Now that black and red is back, what do you think among Buffalo sports is, is the next big uniform change that needs to happen? I will go first. Bring back the red helmets for the Bills. Oh, wow. Anything jump to mind to you? No, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, it's tough. The Bisons I was thinking of, but their uniforms change because their affiliations change. So it's not like they can just be like, let's bring back the classic Cleveland look. They're not affiliated with Cleveland anymore. So I don't know. I guess besides the red helmets, what about the, uh, you know what? No, you know what? I never want to come back. The early 2000s Bills uniforms. You never want them to come back? No. Okay. I call I would call that the the Drew Bledsoe era uniforms. Yeah, what was going on with those? With the navy blue and then you awful, have the awful 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 energy trim like yeah. That they looked like 2002 just threw up on you. Gross. Mm. Man, what a, what a tough time in American history for being honest. <laughs> I know a really we, tough time. We've all lived through tough times in American history. You might say one is right now. But you can say at least no one's wearing those dog shit Bills uniforms. At least something that we could take solace in during these trying times. Yeah. Well, yeah. Who do you, so who do you, I mean, let's take this opportunity to name some guys. When you think of the black and red era, give me some names of guys that you feel are synonymous with those teams. Well, Fennegan-off. Of course. It's interesting because Fennegunov had plenty of years in in both, actually. And he might have still been around when they switched again away from the slugs. I don't know. Maybe not. So you have Fennegunov, that's obviously one. Rob Ray, I think of, although he played in multiple uniforms as well. Uh, Hashik is an obvious Mm -hmm. one. Baran. Brian Holzinger. Mm-hmm. Brian Holzinger, let's go. What about some Vaklav Varada action? Folks, are you hearing some Donald Odette music? Ooh. How about a little Denny Hamel? <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn. You know who really respects Denny Hamel is Eric Bolton. Wow. You know, it's funny you say that because it's getting a little schmelly in here. Richard Smellick. Mm, but you know what clear the air? Chris Gratton. Mmm. Interesting, interesting. You know, speaking of smelly things, I kind of want to go take an Alexei Shitnik. Wow. I'm so sorry. That's wild. That was a rough one. That was a rough <laughs> one. Yeah. Man. Dude. But you know what make Bottle. everyone... <laughs> damn, damn, Jason. <laughs> Jesus. What about a little, just a tiny little bit of dab of Steve Hines? Ooh, okay. Okay. We like that. Hmm, let's see who else. I mean, of course, you can never go wrong with uh, 
you know, some people like their their fur coats, but I like mine, Jason Woolley. Wow. Horrible. Horrible with these puns. Damn. How about a little Joe Juno? Mm, I, I don't know. No? No. What about... Because he also is associated with bad memories in the black and red. So Fair. maybe, you know, we... Uh, Maybe we uh, stop doing puns and I just say Rhett Warner because I can't think of a pun. <laughs> well, I know we're talking a lot about black and red, but, you know, you can always catch me having a good time with Curtis Brown. Oh. Mm. Damn. But that's understandable, though, because some people look at the color brown and think, damn, that's Michael Grosick. Hmm. Meanwhile, that just reminds me of Brad Brown. Brad Brown? <laughs> yeah. Sabres legend, Brad Brown. Everyone remembers him. Of course. Of course. Oh, do we not even say Miro Shatan? I feel like he is like the black and red like player aside from Hashik. Yeah. yeah. Damn. I guess. Is that it? I mean, we, we didn't get the, the tuna man himself. The tuna man? The tuna man. Michael Pekka. Michael Pekka. Wow. We we really love to see this. How about some some Jean Luc Grandpierre? Jean Luc Grandpierre. That reminds me. The black and red jerseys remind me of, you know, more than anyone else. I'd say like Hashik second, Chatan third. Number one is probably uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, Saeed Rulala Musavi Khomeini. <laughs> Just when I see the black and red jerseys, I'm like, damn, that's him. That's what it reminds me of. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. Just the 90s things, I guess. Just 90s things, of course. <laughs> How about a little Eric Rasmussen? Oh, Perhaps yeah. Doug Gilmore? Damn. I mean, I, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the return of Dave Andrewchuk. Yeah. These beauties. Of course. And that pretty much does it. Those are all the guys, I think. Gone but not forgotten, Chris Taylor. Oh, yeah. I should probably also mention the other Taylor, Taylor Pyatt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah boy we've had some guys over the years mika nornan can we get a shout out there too yeah he only ever wore the black and the red so he's a great one for this and he scored a goal too he did he did i gotta say though one of the things i know so they you could tell with the one video that the team put out the differences in the logo and i think something that it's a it's a subtle but really solid difference and go look at this i think the you know, they clean up stuff with the eye, but in the bottom right corner, I feel like in the 90s version of the logo, it was like kind of like a sharp angle that they had there, but they smoothed it out a little bit. They, they just changed the look at it. But when I was like looking through and just kind of watching that over and over again, that little like video clip that they did where it was just like the 90s version versus like the like the now version, it's the bottom right corner of it. Take a look at it. And if anybody, if you haven't noticed it, but I think that that is like a really subtle but also simultaneously like key change that i think really ups the design honestly and makes the because it's a it's a pretty busy logo like there's a lot going on there obviously the whole goat head thing also stems from that it looks like if you look at it in a particular way it looks like almost like it's a face that's like facing the left but i think that this change in the bottom right really 
really helped improve the logo and just the visibility of it, I guess, it's a bit more clearly. So take a look at that and let me know if, if you also feel the same way. But mm. yeah. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. But I'm excited for it. I mean, it's going to be great. 90s night. Can't wait for that to actually happen. And, you know, we'll see who they end up, uh, who they end up bringing back and everything. What's funny though, too, is I was a little, I mean, I guess I'm not necessarily surprised, but um, Ryan Miller, huge fan of the, of the, uh, of the announcement today, he had posted something on his Instagram story, being real hyped about it. I had realized though, they're playing Anaheim a couple of days at, I'm pretty sure at home, a couple of days after his Jersey retirement ceremony, which I really did not understand because the retirement is on a Thursday. And I think they're playing Anaheim on like the Sunday or something like that. Hmm. Just kind of interesting. I, you know, you'd think that if you had the ability schedule wise to make it work with one of his former teams, that that would kind of be a cool little wrinkle, especially considering that a good amount of those guys on Anaheim played with him. I mean, he was, who is it against? Um, let me tell you right now. Who is yeah. it against? They're playing against the Islanders <laughs> on January 19th. And then let's see what the day was. So that's the 19th. And then, oh, they you know play... what, Brendan? That's potential AFC championship, isn't it? Sunday. Oh, get out. Wow. Good call there, Taylor. So... Or wait, no, now, oh, no, it's, the, not, now it's, it's the divisional round. Round, it yeah, it would be the divisional round. And it was, I was going to say, because it's 1230, they're playing against Anaheim on that Saturday. So that makes sense then that it would be against a good catch there, Taylor. Damn. I'm just trying to get my calendar ready. There we go. I mean, you got to, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, do we have any uh, recommendations for the folks? Do you want to go first? Do you have something? Yeah, I'm going to do a new thing. Ooh. I'm going to recommend a beer that I've been excited but not. A, I mean, the beer's not new. I love that. But it's... Well, first of all, I got to say, Jenny Keller is out again. So, folks, go get your Jenny Keller. But also, Pills Mafia, it comes in 12 packs now, 12-ounce cans. Mm. So much, that's significantly better. I don't know what it is. I have a mental block about buying four packs. I don't know what it is. Part of it is they're, they're hard to carry home from the store, and I like to walk to Dashes to get beer. So, I have to carry it like a little baby, and I think that's annoying. And it's like, there's only four of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's good for build seasons. I made a promise on Twitter that I would have 12 of them. 12 of those 12 packs, I should say, between the AFC title game and the Super Bowl if we go to the Super Bowl. So we'll see how that goes. All right. I like it. I'm going to go with the song. I'm going to go with a throwback because I feel like I've done a couple of uh, more modern songs recently. I'm going to go with the song Ophelia by the band, but not the recorded version, the last waltz version. I I believe earlier this year we had talked about the last waltz, which was the band, uh, uh, one of the best bands ever, the band, they are called the band because they were Bob Dylan's backing band when he went electric originally. And then they went off and did their own thing. And it just kind of stuck that they stayed as the name of the band. You had to think somebody was going to do it at some point. So why not them? Thankfully, they're really great. And they have, it's on Spotify, on any streaming platform. You could also watch the documentary, which Martin Scorsese uh, directed. The Last Waltz, it's called. But so many incredible live versions of their songs. I mean, the the band is one of those, those artists that their live performances of their songs just captures a, a spirit and an energy that you really don't get as much in the recorded versions of their songs. Now they have some of, I mean, the best songs of all time, 
you know, are even that way too. Like they, the weight, which is, I think the one that everybody knows, even if you don't know the band, you definitely know the song, the weight, um, the night they drove old Dixie down another one that the last waltz version of it is just significantly better. But I wanted to go with Ophelia because it's a nice upbeat song. And I was listening to it in the car the other day. And I was like, damn, this would be a really great recommendation to do on the podcast. So Ophelia, the last waltz version of it by the band, go check it out. Good upbeat classic rock banger. And watch The Last Waltz, too, because it's a really, really awesome concert documentary. Like, really, really fascinating stuff. Pretty much interviewing a band as they're, like, about to break up. And it's just all this amazing concert where, like, Neil Young, Ringo Starr, they just have so many people who are... Uh, Joni Mitchell performs with them. Neil Diamond, Van Morrison, Bob Dylan, of course, shows up, obviously. Um, It's... Oh, Eric Eric Clapton, huh? But uh, Muddy Waters is there, too. So it's really great. Highly, highly recommend checking out uh, both the documentary if you're a music history buff like myself. And if you're just looking for a good classic rock jam, Ophelia, the last waltz version by the band. All right. So in the spirit of the goat head making its return, who is your former random Sabres player of the episode? Uh, Eric Rasmussen. Eric Rasmussen. That's a great one. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Dave Andertruck part two. Good stuff. Yes, yes. All right, everybody. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you currently are using to listen to this episode. Check out all of our fellow shows on both networks. And of course, make sure you're following them on social media. In addition, make sure you are following us, Straight Up Sabres, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us. We'd love for you to shoot us a follow, interact with us, tweet at us, comment on our stuff, whatever it may be. We'd very much appreciate it. And last but not least, we have our second sponsor now. We have uh, another new one there. But first, I'm going to talk about DraftKings and that promo code THPN that you should be using at checkout. And then last but not least, brought to you by Raycon. Check out those headphones. Go buy them. Perfect for listening to Straight Up Sabres. Any music, any podcast, whatever it is that your listening needs are, check out Raycon and pick up a pair of those. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Straight up Sabres.